I'm Hugh Collingbourne, and this is Wildest Britain. Welcome to the first ever episode of Wildest Britain, which is from Britain and, well, out in the wilds. Later on, I'll be talking to a man who looks for ghosts in some of Britain's most haunted places. And the pendulum started whacking, going really, really mad, just moving really fast, quite violently. And it moved so fast, it knocked the glass over. That's, and I thought it was going to smash the glass. And he said, I don't know what's going on, but this is crazy. And then he said he was getting a jolt up his back, like an electric shock, and he was like, like almost convulsing in a chair. Mm. But then he said to me, the pendulum's getting so hot, I feel like it's burning through my skin. And I'd be looking at what's happening in the natural world at this time of year. Huge, I mean, I couldn't... Not that I'm going in there to get it, but if I try to hold it in both my arms, I still wouldn't be able to do it. I'll be delving into some strange legends, because here in Wildest Britain, we have all sorts of weird stuff that we'll be looking at in some of the most remote parts of the British countryside. So, without more ado, let's go for a walk outside. I'm walking through a small wood at the moment. The trees, of course, are still quite bare, because it's still very early in the year. I hear the birds singing and they're obviously thinking it's about time to get their nests sorted out. Uh, In this show I spend quite a lot of my time outside. We look at the countryside, we're going to look at the natural history, the history of Britain and the natural history, uh, the legends, the mythology, the natural world and also the supernatural world. As we go on through the seasons, I'll be trying to take you out into the countryside here and just give you a sort of a sound picture of of what's going on. I'm just approaching a small river now. I don't know if you can hear that. It's shallow enough for me to wade across, so I'm going to do that now. And it's all pebbles at the bottom. And I'm already on the other bank. So now I'm going up through some trees. I'm right at the bottom of a valley here. It's quite a a shallow valley, but it's completely hidden from the rest of the countryside. So where I am, really, nobody else can even see me. There's just nobody around. And I'm going up onto the other side of the valley. Ah... There's not much to be seen at the moment. Occasionally we get some deer around here and I can see in the mud, I can see little tracks to show that deer have been along here. Just the sort of the double indentations you get from the deer's cloven feet. Uh, Occasionally we see foxes and sometimes badgers. Rabbits, of course, in the fields. I can see... A field just through the trees here. Uh, birds, we get all sorts of birds here. We're quite near to the sea, just on the other side of this valley is the seashore. So we get some uh, seabirds, seaside waders and that sort of thing coming into this valley from time to time and get gulls, as well as the common woodland birds. And... At night we also hear the owls quite a bit and that's maybe something 
I'll get around to recording, if I'm lucky, for a later show. Ghosts. Let's face it, Britain is pretty well stocked with haunted houses and weird phenomena. And on this show, we're lucky to have an expert in all things supernatural. Freddie Valentine has visited some of the most haunted houses in Britain, and he's encountered all kinds of strange and terrifying apparitions. So if you want to know anything about spirits, hauntings, poltergeists and seances, Freddie is the man to ask. So lock the doors, turn the lights down way down low, and listen in to what Freddie told me about his life as a psychic investigator. So hello, Freddie. Um, hello. Now you, tell us a bit about yourself, because you are a psychic investigator. So how do you do that? How do you investigate psychic things? What I do is I do different events, and what we do at these events, they're kind of like seances, paranormal events, but we do a mixture of things. So we find a very, very old location, um, like a very old building. It could be an old church, it could be an old hotel, something like that in a certain area. And what we do, we tend to research the history of it, so find out what any macabre happened there, any murders, a plague pit, something like that. And we do like a ghost walk around the area. So, um, so, when, so, so when, you, when you go around these places, do you actually, do you actually see ghosts? Do you experience them, or, or what happens? Well, we do actually. I mean, I mean, one of the funny things during one of the ghost walks we did in Datchet, which is near Windsor, um, there's a stretch of the river, the Thames at the back, which is very known as a, uh, well known as a suicide spot. Uh, quite a lot of history there. And during the daylight, this is in the summertime. This is around July. We had a, a party of twenty people, um, and sixteen out of twenty saw an apparition of a lady in Victorian clothes pulling a baby out of the water. But it's playing in like a loop. She's going around and around. It's like if you had a, a bit of video tape and played that in a loop this baby being pulled out of the water. And at first, people thought it was someone in, like, a period costume, because Windsor's quite nearby, you know, the Windsor Castle. And you start to get events there, people dressed up in Victorian outfits or whatever. As they got closer, she looked solid from a distance, but she was actually translucent. Um, so but there was four people saying, I can't see anything, but 16 people out of 20 actually saw this. And it wasn't like a nighttime apparition, it was a daytime apparition. Right. So, so do, you, um, do, you, do you know who this 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 was? I mean, is there is there some... Have you got an identity for this person, or is it just happening sort of out of the blue? Well, this is out of the blue, because what we do, we tend to go back to the location which we've hired. You know, we do different things. We do we do EVP with radio frequencies to try and get spirit voices. We do Ouija board sessions and stuff like this. A lot comes through on these things. Um, we tried to contact that spirit on the Ouija board, but she didn't come through. Um, but we do get regular spirits that come through on the Ouija board or via the EVP, or someone goes into a trance, they speak through them, um, and then often they, they can manifest or we see them. It's quite um, you know, strong. I mean, the weirdest experience I had with a ghost myself, because um, there's different, there's two types of things. You get spirits, which are people. They can talk to you. you know. Yeah. But a ghost, I believe, is like a recording. So right. like an event happens somewhere. Say like a beheading happened. or uh, It's almost like replaying an event. Like in a loop is what you see sometimes of a ghost. Um, right. But the so, weirdest... So, but but when, when you... When you so, so a ghost, you're saying, is, is actually like the spirit of somebody who's who's still on Earth. But... Um, but they're also what you call the recordings, which is like, just like, I mean, how, how, do, how does that happen? If, if you see a, it, it's like some sort of psychic, um, I, I mean, I don't know, can, can you describe what, what that yeah. is? 
Well, it's, it's like a memory thing. I mean, I mean, a spirit is something that talks to you or is active or, or converses with you, but a ghost doesn't interact with you. A ghost is something that, well, from what I've experienced, a ghost is like a recording, like a building. You know, you have an old building and it also retains something that happened there and replays it, like an image of it, almost like a hologram, you know. Right. Um, the weirdest thing that happened when I first realised the, you know, the, about ghosts being so such in a loop, really, is um, years ago I, I went for a drink with a friend of mine, um, and this is over over in Chaplow. And in Chaplow, there's a lot of fields, big open fields um, there. You know, this, this, is, this is Tapla. Where, where where is, is it, it's in Berkshire, Bar- right? Um, it's, it's a very quite a rural area. Tapla Tapla itself is like a small village of a couple of little village pub there and a village hall, very old and rural, very very old English 1950s kind of place. You know, yeah. um, and we was going to go for a drink at this pub. It's called the Open Saw. Um, and to get there, you had to cross these fields of cows. Then there's an alleyway there of trees, basically like an alleyway. And this alleyway, you can only walk down it single file because it was so so narrow, you know. As we're walking down there one summer's night, there's someone come running towards us down there, uh, right down this alleyway. And he was dressed in sort of like, you know, like a Guy Fawkes kind of outfit, yeah. a big hat, a long coat. And you couldn't see his face because the, the peak of the hat was sort of over his face. And he was running towards us. And my friend said, it bloke's in a bit of a hurry. Um, and when we looked down, he had no feet, like a misty... <laughs> Uh, at the bottom of his feet. Anyway, as, um, as it came towards us, my friend jumped out the, out the way, but I didn't do I didn't jump out the way in time. And this thing went right through me, um, and it felt like my whole. It's a summer's night. It's really hot. Um, mm. My whole body had turned to ice. It's like someone had frozen my my blood had become ice. Yeah. You know, uh, as cold as a, as a, you know, like a can of coke that had been in a fridge. It's that. It just felt this chill go right through me, yeah. like I was frozen to the core. Um, I was quite, sh- quite shaken by this, and I thought, did I imagine this? I, was I seeing things? Did I have too many drinks in the pub before? <laughs> so we went back to this. We went, we went through the alleyway. It was this pub called the Open Saw, really old English little pub. Yeah. And my friend's an artist. He always carries a pad with him. He does cartoons. And he's a very great artist. And I said to him, look, can you give me your pad here? I'm going to draw down, draw on a pad what I just saw. Um, I don't want you to see it. And then you draw what you just saw. I want to make sure that we're not, you know, imagining it or we're just agreeing with each other here. So I drew this figure, the picture of it, and then my friend drew it, and we compared them. It's exactly the same. So we've both seen this same thing. It wasn't our imaginations. Right. Um, and this chap at the bar, he came over and he said, oh, that's the spirit down there. We don't know who it is, but it just runs down there all the time. So, so other um, people had seen the same thing? And... Yeah, it's known. It was known. Well known. Right. And the bloke who, who owned the pub, he said he's got, he's got a dog. When he walks it, um, you know, in, in, in the daytime, he, he goes tries to go down that alleyway, and the dog will not go down there he digs his his, his, you know, his feet into the ground barks won't go down there and he has to walk the long way around it's quite a long, long way to go around right. with his dog when he takes him for a walk because he will not walk down that, alley, that, that alleyway that pathway um, because it's because this presence down there you know, it didn't feel that evil to me but it just felt a bit of a strange atmosphere yeah. You know, so I've seen that. And that was quite, I was quite young when I, I suppose I was about 18, 19 when that happened. And that, that kind of blew me away a little bit here. Right. Um, but other spirits that I've seen, you do get spirits that are interactive. Some of them are earthbound spirits or they want rescuing or they're trapped in the earth plane. You know, right. um, like for instance, one spirit we get or this hotel that we, we do the um, seances at, there's a, a young girl called Violet that comes through. Um, and and she, when she comes through, she's, she, every seance we do that, she always comes through on the Ouija board. Right. And sometimes in the sounds, she's a very playful spirit, but she's also she picks things up and throws them. And, stuff and, and like this. Who, who 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 was Violet? Do you know who Violet was? Yeah, well, what she claims is that um, the, the hotel had been there for quite a long time. You know, I think it's 11th century it was built initially, and there were stables right. there. Oh, um, where where is this? Where is this? It's in, in Datchet, near Windsor. Oh right, yeah. It's a small. It's a small village. It's quite an old village. You know, they've got a plague pit there, War Memorial, and, and a very old pub there. Um, there's quite a lot of stories about Datchet as well. There's a Dickens connection and stuff like this as well. So there's quite a lot there. Um, but yeah, this girl called Violet, her, her parents owned the hotel, is what she said uh, right. at, at a certain time, back in Victorian times. She said, "Oh, late." late Victorian, early 1900s. Um, and what happened is her, um, her mother died and her father got uh, uh, remarried and got a stepmother in there. And her stepmother didn't like her being around and pushed mm. her in the river. 
pretend it was an accident and she drowned. Um, so she was hanging around this hotel um, just to trying to get attention all the time. And what, what was really weird, when we was on the Ouija board, because sometimes Ouija boards spell out things clearly, sometimes it's gibberish. Mm. She gets spe- spelling out B-A-A, B-A-A, B-A-A. What was she going on about? And it turned out she wanted us to sing Bar Bar Black Sheep. All right. And the next time we did a sounds and as she came through in the ball, she started spelling out Mary, Mary, and she wanted everyone to sing nursery rhymes to her. And when we sang that, um, she was fine. Um, but there was one chap who came quite regularly to the seances, and this, this, this chap, she kept being drawn towards him. Every time I was in the Ouija board, the planchet went towards him. He said he felt someone, a, a presence next to him, um, a, a cold hand trying to hold his hand, like a child's hand. Hmm. Um, and we asked her, do you know this person? And he said, no. But does he remind you of someone that you know when you were alive? And she said, yes. And apparently he looked just like her brother. Um, but this Violet was very much trapped in here. You know, I mean, she 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 used to move things about. Sometimes when we were doing so the sounds. Do, do you know? Do you know when she died? I mean, what period was this? I, I was. She was quite vague because she's quite young, about six, seven. Yeah. I think it was about 1902. She said, but she was quite unsure about things. She wasn't. She didn't spell things that well. You know, like a little kid at that age would really. Mm. Um, and and it was quite unusual. But we did kind of help her see that goes to the light did some rescue work with her because a dog appeared one day a, a spectral dog right. um and i myself couldn't see it but but two people there who said there's a dog here you mm. know and mm. and this violet wanted to be rescued we took her to the light you know we stood in a circle but this dog actually pushed past somebody he felt like um this fur on his arm you know I mean? as this dog joined her and we mm. asked on the ouija board before is your dog she said yes so, so her and this dog went into the circle and we sent them to the light and, and she hasn't come back since so obviously she was a bit of distressed or lost spirit Mm. who had to, had to be um, rescued, you know. But the rescue were quite strange because I've got some stories about that. There's a lady who's kind of like a, an exorcist, not, or, or, you know, she was getting rid of poltergeist and stuff like that. She wasn't a Catholic, but she was a, she worked at a spiritualist church, which I was a member of. Mm. Um, and she, there, there, was a, there was a Catholic church where three poltergeists were there and they were throwing things around, throwing books around, Bibles and stuff like that, and banging on the pews. Um, and she went there with um, a rosary beads um, to, to try and get them to go to the light. Hmm. And, when, and what she's claimed happened was is that they were that when they when they passed over they didn't want to believe in the spirit world because they were catholic so they went back to church where they felt safe it's almost like it, it discounted their beliefs hmm. so when she did this, this sort of exorcism when she opened up her hand the rosary beads are split into three um for each spirit that was quite a crazy experience so a, a poltergeist now poltergeist are the, the the spirits that generally throw things about and make a nuisance themselves are they i mean some of the some of the things you've talked about, like the uh, the violet, uh, the, the spirit that comes in in seances, and the, the the experience you had where somebody walked through you and said, "Well, they didn't feel evil, but people yeah. think, you know, of ghosts. So are they are they sort of evil spirits? Are they going to be frightening? Are, are there, you know, are there things that people need to be frightened of? Are there evil spirits, or is is that just sort of a Hollywood thing?" Well, there's quite, there is evil. I mean, the same spirits are stuff like people. You know, you get some people that are nice and some people that are evil. Um, you know, so if you get, it's generally like talking to a person in the street, really. And with a Ouija board, what you have to remember is if you're talking to a spirit and they're nasty, it's like a phone, really. If you, if you talk to someone who's horrible, you hang the phone up. If you don't want to talk on the Ouija board, take your fingers off the planchet. Mm. Um, but I have got a story about um, a, a, an evil, I suppose you could call it evil, but it's more of a disturbed spirit, I suppose you could say, mm. is that we had a seance once where we were challenging people, because I had these, um, it's, I had some artifacts from, from a, a, a Victorian asylum, you know, like, uh, where they do like treatment, like lobotomies and electric shock therapy and stuff like this. Mm. Uh, and when we were doing this, we were doing psychometry, people holding different objects and, and that kind of stuff and seeing what they so, felt. So, so that's where, where you give somebody something, they, they, they hold the object and you, you sort of pick up the, some vibrations that give you some, some connection with... 
Yeah, like you give someone a watch and they say, oh, I, can, I can get this belong to a gentleman. He was, you know, he, he died in 1940, he looked like mm-hmm. this, that, that kind of thing, you know, so you pick right. up what you can with it. Um, and, and, and when I do my events, what I do is I don't just sort of uh, do stuff and people watch. It's more a case of it's a very interactive experience. Like when we do pendulum stuff, we give people them, they do it themselves. Ouija board, I don't touch it, they use it. I just mm-hmm. explain how to use it. So it's mm-hmm. a very much a, a workshop, I suppose, as well mm-hmm. as a, a, an investigative experience. Um, but this couple turned up, and the lady, she, she'd experienced spirits before, ghosts and that, so she's quite okay about it. But her husband was a little bit sceptical, and he was going, I want to experience something. I really want to, I don't care what they do, I want to experience something really extreme. I said, well, you can't really ask for that because if you say that, you will experience something extreme because you're, you're challenging people. You know, it's like going to a pub saying, I want to challenge someone or fight somebody. They will, someone will stand up and we'll <laughs> have a fight with you. Um, and he was very much like that. And what we did, we channeled this spirit through um, on the Ouija board, and he was from this asylum. And he was very aggressive, you know, mm. quite uh, rude and aggressive to people, swearing, quite a vulgar character, you know. But I think so he was very... So when you say swearing, is this, is this like with the, the planchet, with moving things around in the words are spelt out? and Yeah, he was, yeah. He was sort of saying, you know, quite obscene things to the ladies and, and yeah. being threatening yeah. towards the men and stuff like that. And people were scared. And I said, well, he can't do anything. I said, because, you know, I'd be more scared of the living than the dead, you know, <laughs> to be fair. Right, right. But uh, but this gentleman kept saying, I want him to do something. I want, it, I want to feel something, he said. I want to feel something. I've never felt, felt a spirit touch me or do anything, you know. And his wife kept saying, he keeps saying that. It's, it's, something's going to happen to him. Um, and later on in the evening, we, uh, we did... We do, a, we do a section where we contact spirits with a pendulum and a wine glass. And what we do mm. is we hold the pendulum over a wine glass and we ask the spirits to tap on the glass, you know, and, and they move the pendulum about. So we kind of like say, you know, one tap for yes, two taps for no, and we ask various questions. It's a very simplistic way of communication because you can't – it's a bit like table wrappings. You can't get more than a yes to no answer. Right. Um, and, and, but, but we do it just to show people how a pendulum can be used. Well, this chap was using it. And the pendulum started whacking, going really, really mad, just moving really fast, quite violently. And it moved so fast, it knocked the glass over. That's, and, and I thought it was going to smash the glass. And he said, I don't know what's going on here. This is crazy. And then he said he was getting a jolt up his back, like an electric shock. And he was like, like almost convulsing in a chair. Mm. But then he said to me, the pen- pendulum's getting so hot, I feel like it's burning through my skin. And I said, well, let go of it then if you feel uncomfortable. And he let go of it, and it wiggled across the table like a snake. Mm. And he jolted back in the chair as if he'd had a shock, you know. Anyway, um, he was—he sat very, very shaken there, looking very, very pale. And um, his wife was laughing her head off. So you want to experience yeah. something? But it turned out this spirit that we actually uh, were channeling, who came from the Ouija board, he, the treatment that he was undergoing was uh, electric shock therapy. All right. Um, so that's what he was making him experience what he had experienced. So that, I suppose you could say it's an evil spirit, but it's more like a disturbed spirit, I'd say, really. Right. Okay. Let's we, we wrap this up there for now, Freddie. Thanks for talking to us about that. Before before you You're go, um, can you tell us you have your own podcast? So where can people find out more about all the uh, all the strange things that you've experienced on your podcast? If you tell us where we can find that, it's up. Yeah, it's called. Yep, certainly. Yeah, it's called the Mystic Menagerie, um, and it's on iTunes. Um, just look for the Mystic Menagerie on iTunes. Uh, it's also on YouTube. So search for the Mystic Menagerie, and also the website is www themysticmenagerie.com Okay, so that's where people can go to find out more about all this sort of psychic investigation. Uh, thanks for talking to us today, Freddie. Hope to talk to you again soon. See you soon. And now it's time to go back outside where I've been looking for something slimy but interesting. I've come outside today, I'm looking for, see if there's any frog spawn around. Uh, it's a beautiful sunny day today, it really is, it's quite cold and crisp, everywhere's very muddy, 
can hear me probably uh, squelching through the mud. We've had a lot of rain this winter. Now, frogs around here, I'm in North Devon in the southwest of England, frogs tend to spawn any time from January to about March, depending on the weather. And uh, they go in ponds, they don't go in fast-moving water. Ah, there's a couple of ponds around here. There's, let's have a look at this one over here. This is where they sometimes go. <coughs> no, no. No spawn there. Uh, frogs lay their, their spawn in clumps. You can tell the difference between frog spawn and toad spawn. Toad spawn is more in sort of long ribbons. We get toads around here too. Um, you can often see them late at night waddling along. Toads, apart from being sort of lumpier and, and wartier looking than frogs, you can tell a toad more easily by the way it waddles. Frogs jump around and uh, toads really sort of walk in a fairly... And, oh, here's some frog spawn. Right, this is a pond and there's some good, some good big... Oh yeah, they've really been active here. There's loads, 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 loads. Uh, let's see what stage it's in. Uh, yeah, it's not been here too long because the it's just a black centre. I mean, they're not developing into into tadpoles yet. That'll come, no doubt, later on. So. Uh, Yes, we've we've got some some frog spawn, and I'll come back later in the year and see how many tadpoles. Oh, got more frog spawn here. This frog spawn isn't even in a pond; it's just sort of in a little. Well, it's like a little puddle. I think that might dry out if we get sunny weather. But oh, we're still not going to have any shortage of frogs because in the pond that I just looked at, there are huge. I mean, I couldn't. Not that I'm going in there to get it, but if I try to hold it in both my arms, I still wouldn't be able to do it. It's a mass, mass of, of frog spawn in that pond. So I'll come back later in the year and see if we have some frogs. And now, now it's, it's time, time to, to go, go down, down to, to the, the library. library. On the subjects of frogs and toads, I came across a fascinating passage written by Gilbert White. Now, if you're not familiar with Gilbert White, he was a naturalist in the uh, 18th century. He was a parson and he spent a lot of his time observing and documenting the natural world in a series of letters mainly, which were collected and then published in the form of a book, which is called The Natural History of Selborne. Not all of his observations are as you will hear, scientifically correct, but they're nevertheless a fascinating account of this man's observations in the 18th century. And here's what he has to say, first of all, about the sex life of the frog. So this is, this is reading from his book. The copulation of frogs, or at least the appearance of it, is notorious to everybody, because we see them sticking upon each other's backs for a month together in the spring, and yet I never saw or read of toads being observed in the same situation. It's strange that the matter with regard to the venom of toads has not yet been settled. 
that they are not noxious to some animals is plain, for ducks, buzzards, owls, stone curlews and snakes eat them, to my knowledge, with impunity. And I well remember the time, but was not eyewitness to the fact, though numbers of persons were, when a quack at this village ate a toad to make the country people stare. Afterwards he drank oil. Now, I don't know who this quack was. The quack was presumably somebody who toured from village to village trying to sell his wondrous potions. Maybe the oil was, was something that cured the poison of the toad. We can only surmise uh, exactly what that story uh, was about. But nevertheless, an interesting view of, of frogs and toads. And he goes on to say the even more peculiar story here. So I'm reading again from Gilbert White. I have been informed also from undoubted authority that some ladies, ladies, you will say, of peculiar taste, took a fancy to a toad, which they nourished summer after summer for many years till he grew to a monstrous size with the maggots which turned to flesh flies. The reptile used to come forth every evening from an hole under the garden steps and was taken up after supper on the table to be fed. But at last a tame raven, kenning him as he put forth his head, gave him such a severe stroke with his horny beak as to put out one eye. After this accident, the, the creature languished for some time and died. Ah, poor toad. Uh, interesting sideline on this is he refers to the toad as a reptile. Of course, now we call frogs and toads amphibians. They were, they were classified into a different uh, group from the, the reptiles, which are things like lizards. Um, and the amphibians lay their eggs, their spawn, in, in water. I'm not sure what the history of, of the classification of amphibians is, and if anybody knows, perhaps you can get in touch with me. But um, at any rate, as far as Gilbert White was concerned, they were reptiles. If you have any comments or messages, you can contact the show by writing to me, Hugh Collingborn, at hughcoll, H-U-W-C-O-L, at gmail.com. There are lots and lots of legends about toads. I don't know why toads seem to attract more mythology than frogs. But uh, one of the, the first legends I came across about the toad, this was oh, from this book I'm reading at the moment. It's a book I... I my mother and father used to collect these magazines from me when I was in my teens many, many years ago. It was called Purnell's Encyclopedia of Animal Life, and it eventually formed six volumes all about different animals around the world. I still got it. It's fascinating uh, reference work, but the entry on the toad is what I wanted to uh, read from at the moment. And it mentions about the legend of the toad stone. And it says it was in the 16th century, the writer John Lilly wrote about the foul toad which has a fair stone in his head. And according to this uh, Purnell's Encyclopedia of Animal Life, it says that to obtain this jewel, the toad was placed on a scarlet cloth, which pleased the toad so much that it cast the stone out. And the toad stone was then set in a ring, for it had the valuable property of changing colour in the presence of any poison that an enemy might put in food and drink. And apparently it was also an effective cure for snakebite and wasp sting. So a very, very useful thing to have a toadstone. Uh, unfortunately, there's no such thing as a toadstone because uh, it was entirely a legend, didn't exist at all. And I just looked up on Wikipedia and apparently now it's thought that what used to be uh, considered to be toadstones were some sort of uh, fossil 
Uh, you can look up that yourself if you're interested, but don't go harming any toads looking for their stones. Now, another legend about toads, again, a book from my library. It's another book from the 1970s. This one is called Folklore, Myths and Legends of Britain. Great book. Uh, if you can get a copy, you might be able to get a second-hand one online, which is what I did. And here, the legend it's got here is about toads' bones giving power over horses. It says that in many parts of the country, there's an ancient belief that a bone taken from a toad would give its owner power over horses. The bone was obtained by pinning the toad over an anthill until the ants had stripped all the flesh from the bones. So, you know, what between people going for the toad's bones and trying to get the stone out of its head, it's obviously that the stone, uh, toads didn't have an easy time of it. Anyway, having stripped the flesh from the bones of the poor toad, the uh, toad was then, or the remains of the toad, was thrown into a swiftly flowing stream and watched until it was said one bone detached itself and floated away upstream, screaming as it went. Uh, so we've now got this poor toad who'd been eaten by ants, his bones thrown in the stream, and one bone has gone away screaming. Uh, possession of this bone made the owner a toad man, and horses would always obey him. And other stories claim that before the owner finally became a toad man, he had to take the bone on three successive nights to a stable or graveyard. On the third night, the devil was alleged to appear and try to gain possession of the bone. This strikes me as unlikely. I mean, you'd think the devil had better things to do than... However, that's what it says here. The devil was wanted to get the toad's bone. Uh, and these rituals suggest that the origin of the story may lie in ancient warrior ceremonies connected with horses when certain initiation tests were performed. Uh, it says here, even into the present century, many horse handlers were believed to have hypnotic powers, almost of witchcraft over their charges, and it was believed that the most high-spirited horse could be tamed or its movement paralyzed by whispering in its ear. Most probably the power came from a shrewd understanding of a horse's delicate sense of smell and the use of a scented substance which could hypnotise the beast, which sounds at least slightly more likely than charming it with a bone taken from a toad. So don't harm those poor little toads. And that's it for this episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. Be sure to subscribe and keep exploring Wildest Britain. Wildest Britain is a Dark Neon production written and presented by Hugh Collingbourne, psychic consultant Lord Freddie Valentine, music by Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. If you want to contact the show, write to me, Hugh Collingbourne, at hughcoll at gmail.com. That's H-U-W-C-O-L at gmail.com. And to be sure never to miss an episode, remember to subscribe to the podcast.